You're listening to episode 25 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this week we ask the question, is this version of the outfield for real? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Chirps. Now, it's only been a couple of weeks, but it feels like an eternity since both Alex and I were on the show at the same time. So, Alex, I feel like we should catch up a little bit. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I am tired. It's been a long, long work day, but I'm catching up and the game is on and we're going to talk about all the things that have gone on with this team as of late. So, If you are listening to this and wondering what is happening at the moment, we are in the bottom of the sixth inning with the Cardinals and the Brewers in game two of the first series between the two at home. The game is currently tied at two runs apiece, a couple solo home runs for the Brewers, the Cardinals manufacturing some runs in a couple of different innings. So we'll try to keep you updated on that as we go along, but It's been an interesting couple of weeks for this team. Tonight, we're seeing the first different starter for the Cardinals that isn't one of the original five, and that is because Michael Waka is on the injured list, at least in theory, only missing the one start with a knee issue. Alex, they say it's not serious, but they have said that about Michael Waka before, and then he misses months of the season uh, so I guess before we jump into other topics, are we concerned about Michael Waka at this point missing this start early in the season? Not concerned about the injury. Uh, very concerned about the production we've seen so far from Michael Waka, I think would be That's fair. how I would classify it. Uh, he, he seems to be walking a lot of guys. Um, I, I believe the numbers are showing he's giving up a lot of hard contact. Uh, he just... He hasn't been very fun to watch, frankly. Just like it seems like a lot of nibbling, a lot of I don't know, you know, not aesthetically pleasing, not the stuff I like to see uh, <laughs> when my pitcher is on the mound. Yeah, it's been a bit of a strange start. I think that could be said for most, if not all, of the starting pitchers at this point. But it has been a little bit underwhelming from Michael Walker. The only thing that I would say, as far as the injury, is that. With Michael Waka, it never seems to be purely precautionary. And I always wonder how much it goes back to his throwing mechanics. Because even with the knee, it's his landing knee. So you never know. Maybe he just tweaked it on a particular pitch. But if there's anything else going on up that kinetic chain, it could also be something that either is affected or becomes an additional problem. So I guess the good news is they're trying to get out ahead of it. But the trouble for me is that it never seems to be that simple as far as Waka is concerned. So we'll have to wait and see. Daniel Ponce de Leon got the start tonight, did a nice job. Like I said, gave up uh, a solo homer. John Gant gave up a solo homer coming into the sixth inning, which is not hard to do against these homer-happy brewers. There was also news today on the Carlos Martinez front, and the plan is for him to join the team as a bullpen arm. That is official from Mike Schilt. And from the coverage that we've seen so far, it seems like it's a matter of where Martinez is physically, but not in the sense that he isn't healthy enough to start, 
just that he doesn't have the needed strength built up to start. And that relief role, according to some conversation with Derek Gould, including the preparation regimen that comes with it, is what seems best for Carlos to be successful at this point. I feel like I'm not the only one who's been a little confused by the info we've gotten on Carlos, uh, even going back to last season when he came back in a relief role. But I think that at least mostly makes sense. Doesn't it sort of make sense with what they're doing with him right now? Yes. You know, I'm done trying to even speculate on what's going on here. I, yeah, I was on uh, the Meet Me at Mutual podcast with uh, Daniel and Alan um, a week or two ago, and Carlos came up, and you know, I said I'd like him to be a starter, and then I said something uh, very ill-advised right after that, which, which is along the lines of, "Well, I don't know who he would, you know, bump out of that five, you know, uh, you know, of those five pitchers who, who whose place he would take." And as soon as I listened to it the next day, because uh, I, you know, I had already forgotten about it, but as soon as I listened to it, I was like, "What are you talking about? Like, are are you really enjoying watching Dakota Hudson right now? Are you really enjoying watching <laughs> Michael Walker right now? Like, or and that doesn't even mention, you know, Adam Wainwright, uh, who has had some wonderful starts uh, or wonderful one start, I guess, and some not so wonderful starts. So, I I just. I'm so confused by this entire situation. I don't understand why, to me, he's a starting pitcher. And if he's not healthy enough to be a starting pitcher, I, I almost don't want him pitching at all. But I, I'm also not going to pretend I know exactly how he feels or exactly how to you know work a, a pitcher like him back into shape. So I don't want to speculate too much because soon I'm just going to be talking about things that Frankly, I'm not really qualified to talk about. It's just the way, the whole presentation of the thing has always seemed weird to me. And this is going back to last season when he yeah. first came in as a reliever. I didn't quite understand it then. I didn't understand the chatter in spring training about him being a relief pitcher. And yeah, so, and I still don't understand it now. But again, I'm, I'm done trying to, I guess I'm done trying to understand it. And I'm just going to let the <laughs> info come out and, and maybe we'll learn more as we go. Or maybe... You know, 20 years from now, it'll still be a mystery why we turn Carlos Martinez into a relief pitcher. Yeah, and that is, I think, where I've been as well. Just a lot of maybe incomplete feeling information. And part of that is because the Cardinals maybe don't quite know how to handle this situation with him either. But there's a lot of that inside info that we're just not going to get. And that's not, you know, to say that the questions aren't being asked that just the Cardinals aren't always the most forthcoming with that sort of information. And I do think the one thing with Carlos to, to keep in mind is that there is a difference in, in being healthy versus strong or on the flip side, injured versus weak. And I think that seems to be where there's a, a differentiation that maybe hasn't been made real, real clearly, but that seems important in this whole conversation about where he is. I mean, it's it's almost like he's at the beginning of spring training right now. And as opposed to, um, you know, building his strength over the course of spring tra- training, they feel like it's best suited for him to be on the sort of regular preparation schedule that a reliever would be on in order to, I don't know, maybe maintain some of the the conditioning of well, the, the shoulder and all of that, which still seems confusing to me, but that seems to be the, the line of thinking 
as far as the team is concerned. Well, let me ask this, and I apologize if this info has already been out there. I, I think this news dropped a couple of hours ago, and I've been sort of busy since since it dropped, so I haven't had a time to read too much on it. Is the idea that he's going to be in the bullpen, but slowly work his way up to like come August, he might be in the rotation? Is that on the table, or do we even know anything? At this point, no. At this point, it sounds like the idea is for Carlos Martinez to be as effective as he can be. Right now, that means out of the bullpen because they can sort of control the the conditioning, it sounds like, control the schedule, control the preparation. It sounds like t- there's an element of Carlos Martinez doing what he needs to do to be ready that they saw out of him in a much better way when he was preparing to potentially be in the game every day as a reliever last year than preparing for every five days, which again, there are so many gaps in what that means and what that looks like. And, and what I don't know that we'll ever actually get the answers to that because what does it mean that he's not preparing appropriately as a starter but he would as a reliever for people who maybe aren't there seeing him every day what does that look like what does that mean but that's a whole nother conversation um i think the answer to your question is from what mike schultz seems to have said to the local media on tuesday no it's not about trying to build him up into a starter role it's about utilizing the skill set that he has the capability that he has right now in a relief role because that's where they feel like he will have the most success. So okay. again, I'm, I feel like that leaves a lot of questions on the table, but that's where they're at with it right now. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's so uh, just confusing to me and maybe it's supposed to be confusing to me. And like I said, I'm, I'll just wait and see what happens here because yeah, I, I, I don't have any thoughts on the matter that are going to sound too educated or that I haven't already said. So, but I, I still don't understand why he's not a starting pitcher because we've seen him be a, a starting pitcher for three to four years running when he was a pretty good to very good starting pitcher. Um, and starting pitchers, as we're watching right now, are would be uh, kind of valuable to this team. But they obviously know way more than I do on this. Certainly at a premium as far as those starting innings are concerned. But we'll table that for now, mostly because neither of us have any other answers to that whole ordeal. We're going to talk tonight about the outfield core for the Cardinals, primarily because we've talked about these guys as individuals a couple of times, and we'd like to revisit that. We, in fact did a show a couple of weeks ago that I believe was titled, Is Marcelo Zuna a Problem? I think we'd like to walk that back a little bit, or at least maybe alter the answer to that question. Um, so just for clarity, currently the Cardinals outfield is made up of Marcelo Zuna in left field, Dexter Fowler in center, and Jose Martinez in right with Lane Thomas on the bench. Harrison Bader is scheduled to be activated on Wednesday. Tyler O'Neill played in a rehab start on Tuesday, I believe. So those guys should be back in the equation very soon. But let's talk about those three. Ozuna, Fowler, Martinez, starting with Marcelo Ozuna, because Alex, just a couple of weeks ago, he looked like one of the biggest liabilities on this team. And now all of a sudden, he looks like the guy that the Cardinals thought they were getting when they brought him to St. Louis initially. It's been 
an insane turnaround. You, you know how many times we would say, like, look, we're not expecting to get 2017 Marcel Azuna. He doesn't have to be that. Right. He's been better than that guy uh, since, like, crazy. the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, so obviously you always have to be careful analyzing much of anything in April. Like Rob Maines, uh, who's, who's a buddy of mine um, at Baseball Prospectus, he every year basically warns everyone in these great posts like, do not make too much of April, you know. And it's a temptation that sometimes is just too hard to resist because, you know, it's stuff we're watching, you know. It's very hard to, you know, like if, if, if you do like what you and I do where we get on here and talk about baseball, we're going to talk about, you know, what we saw the night before last night or the night before or, or whatever um and l- let's be honest marcelo zuna um as you know i didn't watch as much of spring training as you did but i, I was certainly reading about spring training and you know it was almost a, like could have been defined as a disaster perhaps you know i don't know what a disaster in spring training looks like i guess an injury he wasn't injured so so that's good but you know the first well, i don't know how many games but he, he just looked terrible you know and, and yeah. uh Ben Godar and I talked about this at the, uh, you know, it's not like he was unlucky. Like, you know, he wasn't hitting the ball hard at all. You know, it was just contact looked terrible. And, you know, we talked about how his his throwing arm looked awful. Uh, his fielding, obviously, um, will always probably leave a little to be desired. You know, um, you know how, how far some have fallen from, you know, former gold glove winner uh, Marcelo Zuna. I wish I had watched him more in 2017 because I want to go back and see how he won this gold glove or if it, I'm assuming it was because whoever voted didn't take too much, didn't do the research too much, but I don't know. Maybe he was brilliant in the field. I really don't know. Uh, I guess I could look his ass, but um, anyway, yeah, no, he's been great. Uh, you know, he's, he's like the weird, he's one of the weirdest and I mean this in an endearing way. He's just like a very weird player. Uh, w- one of the things when I watch him bat that he kind of reminds me of, and he's a very different player from, I'm going to talk about Willie McGee and, you know, we, we've all kind of formed our own. Um, we all kind of have our own vision of Willie McGee now. That's almost separate from the player just because of what he's been to the organization um, kind of se- since his second go around with the team. And then, you know, moving into almost kind of like a figurehead, then a coach and whatnot. And everyone loves Willie. Um, but we almost kind of forget what he was like from, I guess, you know, 82 to 90, uh, whatever the years were his first stint with the Cardinals. And, what I remember about Willie is that he would take some of the worst swings you would ever see. Like a pitcher would basically bounce a ball to the plate and Willie would bail out, you know, it looked like he wasn't even looking at the pitch and would take a wild swing at it and, and miss it by a mile. And, and then the very next pitch he would, you, you know, somehow hit a terrible pitch for a single, you know, opposite field or something like that. And I, f- I feel like Marcelo Zuna is kind of like that. He can just look awful on some at bats, and then in the in the very same at bat, then just rope a ball to left field that leaves faster than almost anything I've ever seen. And, and so he's just, you know, I've seen s- some people compare him to like Manny Ramirez in terms of kind of like, look, you just kind of accept the quirkiness of 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 him, which might lead to that. Awesome, hilarious, ridiculous play we saw two weeks ago when he scaled the wall um, because you get the offense. And, you know, it was much less charming before the offense has arrived. But now that it has arrived, I, I'm totally on board. Yeah, you know, do whatever you got to do. Uh, if you keep hitting like this, then no one will care. 
Yeah, it's funny. We often sort of arbitrarily pick a moment that could be a turning point, whether it's for a team or for an individual player. At this point, falling off the wall in left field is the turning point for Marcelo Zuna. And whether or not, you know, that that somehow uh, sharpened his focus or his motivation or whatever it may be or not, that's when things really started to turn around as far as the results were concerned. Um, I have to say, I saw that play in person when I was in St. Louis, and it's still thinking about it. One of the strangest things I've ever well, seen in my life. I forgot but, you were at that game because that's right, because I was recording yeah. it. But will you do, how about, can you do a breakdown of what that play looked like live? Because we all saw it, uh, you know, on the GIFs and videos. I want to, what it looked like live, how the crowd react. Could you, could you see it as well live as what we all saw on replay? So I, First of all, yes, you could, you could sort of. I was sitting just to, if you're looking at the plate, just to the left of home plate and, you know, about halfway up the section. And I watched the ball off the bat. So I looked up to see where the ball was going. And then I looked down and I saw Marcel on the the wall, hanging off the wall. And my first thought was, this this is going to go like 12 rows deep. How hard did he hit that? And then sure enough, I looked down and he was laying on the track and then the ball hit the track as well. So it was, it was almost like the whole thing developed in slow motion because I very distinctly looked up to follow the ball, then looked down to see where the outfielder was. Cause you know, that's how you judge a fly ball from behind the plate. And he was scaling the wall and I thought man I didn't think he hit it that hard and then sure enough he didn't and I I swear my jaw actually dropped because I just I was completely in shock as to how that play developed and then you know because Twitter is how we spend all of our time I immediately at the game started refreshing Twitter to see when the gifts and the videos all started showing up and quite honestly, there were a couple of at least half innings that I have no idea what happened in the actual game because I was just watching the reactions to uh, to Marcelo Zuna throwing himself off the left field wall over and over again. Uh, it's seriously, one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And uh, it was frustrating in the moment. Then it was just really funny. <laughs> and now... Well. Uh, I can't, I can't not laugh well, about it. <laughs> we won that game. Yes, so that helps. <laughs> that helps a lot. And e- even if we had lost that game, and let's say even if we had lost that game almost specifically because of that play, we probably wouldn't be laughing now, but it wouldn't take long until that play's funny. Um, it, right. It, right. Once you reach the point where that, that game no longer impacts the season in terms of like, you know, one way or the other, then then that's a pretty <laughs> great play, and I'm happy that it exists. But and there were so many brilliant reactions. Yeah, and since they won, uh, I was jokes. happy. I was immediately happy it, ex- it exists. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I'm also you know quite happy with what has happened since then. As you mentioned, it is hard to kind of draw any definitive conclusions from a performance through the month of April, but. It is interesting to look at some of the numbers, just see where the comparisons can be made. The ground ball rate for Marcelo Zuna last year was 47%. It's 37% so far this year. That's a a huge difference 
in just the way that he's hitting. Um, I mean, his his fly ball rate is up. The the line drive rate is up. His hard hit rate is up. His soft hit rate is is down. I mean, all of those numbers seem to indicate taking yeah. walks as well. I mean, the the approach at the plate has changed so dramatically since spring training, since that first week or so of the season where he just looked completely lost. All of a sudden, he's locked in in a really special way. And not only is he making better contact, he's also just swinging at better pitches to hit, which was such a frustrating thing with him last year for me, watching him swing wildly like he was guessing every time instead of having a a real executable game plan at the plate. Yeah, um, real quick, I'm going to interrupt. Andrew Miller just mowed the Brewers down this half inning. It was fun to watch. that's good to struck see. out uh yelich uh got a grounder and then struck out braun um anyway um yes you, you are correct like i was watching uh last night and he just uh he just looked like a menace at the plate you know like just the, yeah. e- even just like the way he was fouling off balls like you know like he just uh what's what's the phrase locked in you know he's he seems he seems to be sort of locked in right now and you know because he's Marcelo Zuna, because this is baseball, when we talk a week from now, we could be like, oh, man, uh, what happened? You know, he's he's had a horrible mm-hmm. week, and now we're all back to um, worrying about him. I think that just might be the way it's going to go with him. He, he just might be this streaky guy. Now, uh, uh, Ben Humphreys, who's, who's the uh, former site manager at Viva Alberto's, recently started a new blog called, I believe it's called On the Cardinals. Um, yeah, and, and he wrote about like Marcelo Zuna's current run and how and kind of compared it to his best run last year, and it it, it pretty much exceeds that um, pretty easily, in fact. So like he's yeah. this is the best version of Marcelo Zuna we've seen, and you know I'm expecting he's going to be kind of a streaky player all season. Um, that just seems to be the type of player he is, but you know we'll see. What's so exciting to me about this version of Ozuna is that for years we've talked about how the Cardinals lack any sort of fear factor in the middle of their lineup. Marcelo Ozuna is becoming that. I mean, all of a sudden, rather than cringing when Ozuna comes to the plate with the bases loaded and nobody out, my thought is, okay, I need to watch this at bat because something really cool might happen. And it might be that he draws up six-pitch walk and walks in the go-ahead run. But it could also be that he hits one over the fence in left field or he drills one into the gap and, and clears the bases. I mean, all of those are possibilities now, which is really exciting because that's who the Cardinals expected Marcelo Zuna to be. Yeah, I mean, this lineup, especially right now, it just looks great. and I, And I think... I think a lot of us kind of expected that, you know, I certainly my, I, I thought um, at the beginning of the season that this, that this team was going to score a lot of runs. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing. It's kind of, especially this last week, I, they what scored 29 runs there, um, three games coming into this game. Um, I, I believe a week ago at this time, they had scored the 11th most runs in national league. And now they're at, I think number two behind the Dodgers. And I think they have the best run differential in the league as well. So. Yeah, I, I think this could be a very, very scary lineup. Uh, who was it? I, I think uh, I think the guy who goes by John Redbird on Twitter mentioned today that they're on pace to hit more home runs than ever. Uh, you know, I think 2000 they they set their home run mark with what, like 230 or something like that, and, and they're on pace to eclipse that. Now, 
probably won't surprise you if I tell you they're also on pace to give up more home runs than they ever have before. Uh, uh, but Maybe at least we'll talk about pitching yeah, next week. <laughs> at least a lot of them have been solo shots, so they've been yeah. able to survive, especially this uh, this Brewer series uh, so far um, in that regard. But yeah, and you know, everyone always talks about how the ball often doesn't start flying out of the park until you know once it starts to get a little you know muggier and stuff. So we're talking about May June. Um, speaking of which, Paul DeYoung just went just hit a home run. So Cardinals are up 3-2. That was great timing, Paul DeYoung. Uh, well done. Maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we'll yeah, talk about Paul yeah, DeYoung. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should we start talking about you. But yeah, this team, <laughs> this team is going to score a lot of runs. Um, they have a, a great offense, and when everyone's healthy, they have a great bench. So even on those getaway days, I feel good about the team they're putting out there. Yeah, and that includes right now Dexter Fowler, which has the potential to be my favorite story of the 2019 season. I don't even know exactly where to start with Fowler because there's been just as dramatic of a turnaround with him as there has been with Ozuna, but I think it's been a little slower. I mean, you've seen the process, right? We talked the first week of the season that, well, it looks like he's taking better at bats. Then it turned into, well, he's drawing walks. Then it was, well, he's picking up some base hits to go along with the walks. Then those base hits turned into doubles. Then on uh, Monday night, he hit his first home run of the season. And all of a sudden, Dexter Fowler looks like the kind of guy that could be effective at the top of the lineup. He could be effective in that sixth spot where he is right now. And when he's playing like this, all of a sudden, this lineup has a whole nother dimension. That's why I've, I've felt so, so comfortable saying this team is so focused on getting Dexter Fowler right because when he's right, he changes so much about what they can do. Um, I mean, I don't expect him to to hit over 300 for the entirety of the season. His WRC Plus right now is at 129. He's doing all of the things that the most successful version of Dexter Fowler has ever done. And I don't know how long that lasts. I don't know if he falls back into some bad habits, but man, is it good to see Dex looking like the guy he's been for most of his career. Agree. Uh, And what's funny is his uh, walk rate and strikeout rate are almost perfectly in line with last season. Yeah. Um, You know, he's had a lot of Babbitt luck, but you know, um, I think I, I saw someone, people were debating today about the fact that, you know, he's really not even hitting the ball that hard. Uh, so whether or not, you know, this is going to come crashing back down to earth, I don't know. But I feel very, very comfortable chalking it up to, and I don't want to pick on the guy, but Matheny's not here. So <laughs> I'm going to say it's real. I'm going to say his Babbitt's going to stay at 417 or, or whatever it is, you know. That's the... Matheny being gone effect here uh so yeah I, I yeah he, he's just he, he's looked good he's he's doing exactly what I said I wanted to see from him at the beginning of the season which is just get on base uh you yeah. know he not until I guess uh, very recently he wasn't hitting for any power at all you know and mm-hmm. then uh the last like you know three or four games he's mixed in a couple of doubles and a home run so that finally started to come around but what's he typically been batting about sixth or seventh and I guess seventh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sixth. sixth. Uh, when Martinez is not playing. So right now he's, uh, he's been seventh. Okay. Yeah. It, long eight. What else do we need from a guy batting seventh? Which yeah. is exactly what, exactly. Um, 
I, I don't say what he's been because like what you said, I, I don't expect him to, I guess, stay on this pace. Although it's not like, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. I mean, his yeah. 2016 season with the Cubs and his 2017 season with the Cardinals, he was a very, very good offensive player. But he can certainly, I, I guess, he, you know, regress back to what most people expect. And I think we'll be fine with that from our seventh hitter. Yeah, one of the the notes that I saw in some of that conversation about, well, he's not really hitting the ball that much harder. How much is he going to regress? I mean, his line drive rate is up significantly from what it was last year. He was hitting the ball on the ground 42% of the time last year, 40% this time. But he was hitting a lot of fly balls, like not well hit, kind of lazy, Mm -hmm. routine fly balls last year. That was at 39% it's down to 24% while his line drive rate is up to 34%. So from 18, by the way, (laughs) jumped from 18% line drives to 34% so far this season. So obviously a lot of movement will still happen with those numbers over the course of a season, but there's reason to believe that this isn't just a lucky streak. And you mentioned Mike Matheny not being there, the, the benefit to, perhaps Fowler and Ozuna, who didn't really seem to have a a great rapport in the clubhouse last year, particularly with the manager. Um, And the same thing for Colton Wong. We've seen him at a completely different level so far this season. I also want to note, we've talked a couple of times about Jeff Albert and how you can't always measure what a hitting coach is yeah, doing. Is, is that another person I need to apologize to? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We, I don't know that we're quite there yet, but we, we both mentioned it. You know, when the Cardinals are striking out seemingly in every other at bat to start the season, all of a sudden we started thinking, okay, where's this new approach? Because Albert was supposed to be the guy that was going to, you know, coach them to, to contact, to not striking out so much. Their strikeout rate is still relatively high as a team. I think some of that is because of that first week and a half or so of the season. But there has been a notable change in the approach of a lot of guys. Paul DeYoung is one of them. I mean, he looked pretty awful that first week of the season. And he sort of found uh, a new gear here as of late as well and is really driving this team forward, looking like the the three-hole hitter that a lot of people hoped he would be he might be one that I have to apologize to at some point this season, because I certainly didn't have real high hopes for what he would do in that three spot. But I think you can potentially start to give some of that credit to Jeff Albert. We'll see what happens with all of these numbers, with all of these guys, but it's been, I think very noticeable to see individual guys. I mean, we could go up and down the lineup and to see how their approach has shifted over the course of the first three weeks or so of the season. And, you know, if we want to start uh, to blame Jeff Albert when it's not going well, I think we can at least give a little bit of a hat tip um, to, to what's well, changed over the, since that first week. L- let me just say my skepticism with Jeff Albert never had anything to do with their first couple of games when they were just striking out like crazy. Um, although I did make note of that. I wasn't saying like, oh, like, nice going, Jeff Albert. Um, (laughs) My skepticism was more just with the idea that these guys who have been playing baseball their entire lives, um, professional, very competitive baseball, would all of a sudden um, be able to be fixed. Uh, You know, not that coaches are, you know, don't do anything or, you know, or like that. But you know, just take a player like Tyler O'Neill or 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 Paul DeYoung, um, guys who seem to just to me, 
be who they are and and you just have to almost kind of live with that like you know you can hope that they improve a little bit but they're never going to deviate too far from that profile well i could be you know whether albert has anything to do with it or not i could be completely wrong on that with the young i mean it certainly looks like it so far he's he's not striking out nearly as much as he used to and that and that's been great so i was never concerned about jeff albert as a hitting coach because of those early strikeouts it was more just like yeah, can a guy really uh, come in and totally teach these guys how to do certain things um, that's going to make them vastly uh, superior hitters when they're at this stage in their career, when they've spent this many hours up to this point playing baseball and Yadier Molina just stole third base. That's hilarious. Um, he <laughs> I love when he does that. <laughs> he would have been out by a mile, I think, with a good throw, but uh, he, he really stole that off the pitcher. Anyway, so you know what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. Like, and so, you know, I, I'm not going to give him like, you know, all the credit yet, like you said, because, you know, who really knows with this stuff, especially uh, when we're still a week away from May. But I'm also if they were if they're we're slumping right now, if they're going to go into a big slump next week, I'm also not going to blame him for that either. Wait, and see. I guess I, just, I basically just said nothing other than just like uh, kind of what you said, wait and see on this. But certainly the early returns are very promising. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see the change wherever it's coming from, I guess, is the moral of that story. Yadier Molina is one of those guys that has turned it on. He sort of locked in about a week or so ago, <laughs> not only on the base paths. I love when Yadi steals third because then he reacts and he's like, yeah, that just happened. But he also just drove in another run for the Cardinals yeah. and Jose Martinez scored from first. Jose Martinez is... A- an interesting continues to be an interesting part of this whole outfield equation for me because he's getting the playing time that is giving him the opportunity to prove what his bat in the lineup is worth. But Harrison Bader is going to be back on Wednesday. Tyler O'Neill will be back shortly after that. All of a sudden he's right back into a position where he doesn't know what his playing time is going to be. Man, that is a tough guy to take out of the lineup when you know Harrison Bader is batting a a buck seventy nine or whatever it is, yeah, I, I don't know if you heard me. Just I thought that ball Fowler hit. Was I did fair, too. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is tough, but I I support Bader going right back to center field um, and, and moving Fowler back to right field. Uh, and I I don't know, maybe that sounds crazy with how well they've played lately, but. You know, first off, I should mention that Bader has been exactly, you know, it's early. I don't know if he's even had 50 plate appearances so far. He's probably right around there. But Bader has been exactly what we said we would tolerate from him so far this year, which is a slightly below average hitter who plays excellent defense. Um, I've never seen a guy who goes back to catch a ball and gets in position to throw it better than he does. Do you know what I'm talking about, the way he does that? He's so good at that. And I don't know. I just feel like the configuration of Ozuna, Fowler, and Jose Martinez, as much as I love all three of those guys, is going to come back and we're all going to realize that that's not a great guy to have out there. Um, Sorry, I I got they just did the review and I got all (laughs) all caught up in it. Ball was foul, but just barely. Uh, 
you know, that that's eventually we're going to realize like, you know, maybe that's not the best defense to have out there, especially with um, some pitchers who might want some help in the outfield. <laughs> um, although if they're giving up home runs, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, it's true. It doesn't matter. Yeah, who's back yeah, so maybe we should just have the best bats out there. But no, I look, I think Jose is going to continue to get at bats, um, play Bader against lefties. Um, get Jose in there, um, you know, whenever you can. Look, look, Bader's having, what, hamstring issues. Um, that's an injury that often kind of rears its ugly head uh, more than you'd like it to. I don't think at the end of the season we're going to be too worried about whether or not Jose Martinez got enough at-bats because I think they'll be there. Right Now, a player like Tyler O'Neill, I think that could be a different story. Yeah, I'm not real sure how they continue to get him at-bats. I mean, we've seen him be effective in some of the opportunities he's had, but we've also seen him strike out a lot, which is not unheard of as far as O'Neill is concerned. And I feel like when the outfield is going as well as it is right now and you're trying to generate runs with any other group besides the three that are out there, O'Neill has to not only get the opportunities to contribute, but then cash in when he does have that opportunity. And how to mix that up just right is going to continue to be a bit of a challenge for Mike Schilt, but I think in the best way, if we can go back to that good problem to have cliche. To me, I, you know, this whole kind of outfield conundrum, like this is where Schilt earns whatever paycheck he's getting. Think about a, a manager like Joe Madden, who is, you know, has kind of fallen out of favor for, I guess, a variety of reasons. But you look at that like 2016 team or even that 2015 team when like Schwarber came on the scene, I guess, you know, in the middle of the season. Um, and, and even going into 2017 when, because I guess Schwarber wasn't there in 2016, but he was back in 2017, um, you know, back from the injury. Uh, my point is there were some very crowded spots. There were a lot of players who probably felt like they weren't going to get the at-bats that they should based on the type of player that they were. Um, and I always thought that Madden seemed like the type of manager who was probably very good at telling them like, look, some of you guys aren't going to get the at-bats you want. I expect you to not like that. But I also expect you to understand it's for the greater good of this, of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to do something awesome here. And we can do that with this core lineup that we have, with the fact that we have so many good players vying for these spots. Like that's what I expect from Schilt to be able to communicate to these guys that, you know, look, if you were on the Royals, if you were on, I don't know, the Giants, you would be getting probably the at-bats you want. But we have bigger plans than those teams. And so I'm just asking you to be patient and, Everything will fall into place. We'll get you in there when we can. And this has potential to be a very special season for us. Like I, I think about what you said earlier about like Matheny, you know, not getting along with Fowler or um, and then, you know, not necessarily connecting with Marcelo Zuna. Um, we know he kind of had a falling out with Yadier Molina. Like think how big of a disaster that is. You're not getting along with your free, with the, with, the team's big free well, big whatever you want to classify that. But one of your team's free agent signings, you know, one of their more marquee free agent signings in a while. You're not getting along, or whatever the case, like you're not necessarily connecting with 
the guy that we brought over to be the big bat in the middle of the lineup. And you lost Yadier Molina. You just can't do that. Like, so this is where Schilt needs to prove he is the guy for this job, that he can handle all these sort of pieces that are moving around. I think, you know, Bernie used to always call it the island, island of misfit toys. Um, he, if, if Schilt can figure out how to keep all these guys happy, keep these guys somehow getting their at-bats, then he will really earn his paycheck, which I just use a lot of words to say what I said right at the very beginning of this spiel. But yeah. It's true, though. And that's, I think, what makes his job so much more difficult than uh, ours just sitting here talking about his job. <laughs> but I think the good thing right now is that there are such great options and you have such great production from guys that really needed to have a bit of a turnaround this season. And to see that sort of success, to see it coming from, you know, whomever you want to credit that for is a huge part to, I think, what Mike Schilt can do with this outfield equation, because he can say, look, we stuck with the process with Dexter Fowler. Here are the results. We stuck to the process with Marcelo Zuna. Here are the results. We knew what we had in Jose Martinez. He's proving that we have what we thought we had. And Harrison Bader can sit out a game or two if he needs to, if there's an injury or any anyone else can, because they have competent backups to come in, whether it's Tyler O'Neill or whether it's Lane Thomas, who came up this week and, and has certainly not looked overmatched at all. That's the benefit of the depth that they have. And and you're right. It's up to Schilt to, to utilize it well. So we'll see what happens with that over the next week as Bader and O'Neill come back. But the moral of this very long story is I don't know who we give credit to for Dexter Fowler and Marcelo Zuna turning their the seasons around, I guess, if you can say that in April, but they have done a pretty remarkable job of that. And it, Jose Martinez is just always going to be one of the most fun people to watch play the game of baseball. And uh, it's it's a bonus that he hits as well as he does. So with that, Alex, it's time for the trip of the week. Okay. Tara, have you ever been on like baseball reference or fan graphs and you're searching for um, Carlos Martinez? And you first have to kind of toggle through several other Carlos Martinez's. Yes. So, yeah, there, there have been several other Carlos Martinez's. One is the, you know, one we all all love. We have a current, I guess, relief pitcher <laughs> for the uh, Cardinals. Um, another one uh, pitched uh, very sparingly for the Marlins uh, from 2006 to 2009. And the other Carlos Martinez, and I think a lot of people know this, um, was the father of our own Jose Martinez. Um, and I've been thinking about him, I guess, the last the last week or so because of that Marcelo Zuna play in the outfield um, that we talked about earlier and how we're all kind of happy that it exists, even though it wasn't a great for the Cardinals and it wasn't great for Ozuna, but it was just so odd and, and crazy to watch that I think we're all going to be happy to have this, you know, at our disposal anytime we want to watch it. Um, and it's kind of, it reminded a lot of people and people brought this up. It reminded a lot of people of when that ball bounced off Jose Canseco's head and went out of the stadium. That was at old uh, Cleveland stadium, Cleveland municipal stadium for a home run. That was on March 26, 1993. And I think as a lot of people also know, the person who hit that ball 
was Carlos Martinez, father of Jose. Um, I had never really seen many at bats uh, by Carlos Martinez, and they're and they're hard to find online. Um, but if you watch this particular at bat, it is striking, and you've heard you've I've often heard people say this as well. It is striking how much he looks like Jose, how much his <laughs> swing looks exactly like Jose. Um, but for those who, if there's anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, he hits a ball to deep right center field, and Jose Canseco, I have no idea, somehow loses loses the ball. It's a day game, so he didn't lose it in the lights. He just somehow loses the ball, and it bounces, hits his head, and goes over the fence. Not that dissimilar to what happened to Dexter Fowler <laughs> um, when it went off his glove a couple of days ago. Um, which, you know, we also won that game too. So, hey, you know, no there harm, no harm, no foul there either. Um, but no, but this is, is funnier and it could have happened and it could not have happened to a more deserving person because by 1993, Jose Canseco was no longer like best player in the league, MVP Jose Canseco. And he was kind of transitioning into knucklehead Jose Canseco. <laughs> so this was kind of like, you know, it was kind of perfect for him at the time. And, uh, this was in sports center was in its heyday. And I remember them just showing it all the time, uh, uh, weeks after it happened. It was like, it was a very, very big deal. And I was looking at the box score today. And the first thing that caught my eye is there was only one error in this game. And I was like, well, okay, well, obviously that's uh, the ball bouncing off of Jose Canseco's head because that is clearly, <laughs> if anything's an error, that's an error. But no, that wasn't, they, they did not, somehow they did not rule that an error. I don't know what the scorekeeper was doing or why that would not be deemed um, an error. But the only error given out in this game was actually to Benji Gill, the shortstop for the Rangers, when he booted a ball hit by uh, Reggie Jefferson. Uh, uh, Reggie Jefferson, uh, some of you may know if you collected cards for one summer back then, he was kind of a hot prospect, but didn't uh, really uh, turn out all that much. But uh that's neither here nor there. So yeah, Benji Gill got an error that game and his error or whatever it was turned out being completely harmless because the uh, they still got out of that inning and didn't give up any runs. Meanwhile, Jose Canseco gives up a home run off his head and the Rangers lose that game by one run. <laughs> the final score in that game was seven to six. Um, and so normally I would have stopped it there. But uh, Daniel Shapdaw, uh, C70 on Twitter, notified me that Benji Gill's son is actually in the Cardinal system. His son is Mateo Gill. Uh, he was drafted, I believe, last year. He was in the Gulf Coast League last year. I asked Kyle earlier uh, where he's at now, and he said it's to be determined. But, yeah, so this is kind of like a uh, father-son's um, full circle thing because we have uh, Benji Gill and now Mateo Gill in this story and also – Carlos Martinez, meaning the other Carlos Martinez, and Jose Martinez. Um, and, you know, Carlos Martinez died in, I, I believe, 2006 at, at age of 40. So Jose would have just been a teenager. Um, and so it always makes me happy to see him playing because he seems so just proud to be there and so happy to be there. Um, I haven't um, – I'm sure he's given plenty of interviews where, he, where he's talked about his father and such, but I always um, – I don't know. It, it just made me feel good watching Carlos Martinez's swing and seeing how much it mirrors almost exactly his son's swing. And I think that's a very, very cool thing, kind of a very cool legacy to leave. 
and that is your chirp of the week. Um, bad plays in the outfield um, and some father and son moments. There you go. That's your chirp of the week. That's awesome. I think I'm sure Jose knows that story, but I feel like he would enjoy <laughs> that story as well because of the uh, just the the joy that he plays with and knowing that it translates from the way his dad played to uh, to the, to what he's doing. So that's very cool. Full circle stories like that are always a lot of fun for me. So thanks for that, Alex. I'm glad that I didn't have to come up with something this week. So I'm glad you're back. <laughs> and that'll do it for episode 25. Alex, this is episode 25 of the show. So everybody make sure that you are subscribed to the Birds on the Black podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you feel so inclined, feel free to leave us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And follow each of us on Twitter for more throughout the week. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Alex, same time, same place next week? I will be here. All right. We'll talk to you then.